0: Hi there, and welcome to the Love Scribe Podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Scribe. Hey, y'all! Thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Love Scribe Podcast. I had sent out a message last week on my social media and did a short video telling you ladies that I would like to hear from you. I would like to hear some of your questions, do a Q and A, maybe do this um, on a periodic basis. So that way I can also be addressing some of the questions or concerns that you have and even opening up to asking me some private questions within reason. And I got quite a few questions. Um, Obviously I'm not gonna be able to answer all of them because I got so many, but there were a couple of questions such as a question about um, the gift of tongues I'll talk a little bit about that today and i'm going to refer you to some resources that will be helpful depending on if you ask this question or maybe you've had this question on your own but at any rate i want to provide you some resources give you some thoughts scriptures to go to and encourage you as always to do your own bible study make sure you're in a local biblically sound church to where you can ask your pastor questions ask the elders questions and that you can also continue to grow in your fellowship with other believers, and understanding things in a proper way. I'm going to answer eight questions today. Some of them, I've combined a couple of them because they were linked together. But I'm going to answer these questions, and I hope that it's helpful to those that ask the questions. And I hope it's helpful to those of you who maybe have questions and haven't had a chance to ask them. So let's go ahead and jump in. The first question that I was given was how to know God's will and how to pray. Now, I had a couple of ladies ask me about how to pray. And also the question of what is God's will. So some of you all know that in this movement, we are told many times that God's will is for us to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, without taking those scriptures into the appropriate context and the audience that Jesus was speaking to, and to take other things into consideration along with the understanding in the context of those passages. But many times we can struggle with understanding what is God's will for my life. If I'm not supposed to do these extraordinary things and and I don't do extraordinary things, then does my life have any meaning at all? What is God's will for my life? Because now I'm struggling after coming out of this movement of the New Apostolic Reformation and wondering, what do I do? What is God's will for my life? And also praying. And that was a big one for me, um, struggling with how to pray, knowing uh, what biblical prayer looks like. I know I've shared that in the past in uh, interviews and in some of the other podcast episodes I've done but biblically praying was a difficult thing for me because I was one of those decreeing and declaring type of people. I was very much into that. And so when you begin to learn how to biblically pray, it doesn't look like it did in this movement. It's petitioning prayer. And so there's a few resources I want to recommend to you. And let me just say this too about these questions. Obviously there's no way for me to be exhaustive about these questions So I really want to touch on some things. And then from there, you may find some other helpful resources that I did not mention. But as always, you want to make sure that the resources that you're reading, whether it's a book somebody wrote or a reference, um, an article or a reference book of any sort, that you want to make sure that it's lining up with the proper context of scripture and that it's coming from a reputable source. Mm -hmm. For those who may be familiar with this book or may not be, one of the things I'm going to recommend to you first is this book right here. This is called Praying the Bible by Donald S. Whitney. And our church is actually getting ready to start this book this week um, as a congregation in reading this book. And we're reading it to our family and and doing a couple of chapters a week. I've known about this book for a while. My good friend and sister in Christ, Emily Massey, and myself, we both co-lead a women's discipleship group. And one of the books that we suggest to them to consider looking at is this book right here, Praying the Bible. And the main teaching of this book is focusing on you and I praying the scriptures or taking a passage of scripture, particularly a psalm. And they go through here and talk about the psalms and why it's good to use those in your times of prayer. Now, I know that some of us have been accustomed to using verses in an unbiblical way and again, decreeing and declaring things, but this helps put things in a more biblical perspective for you and more appropriate. So they go through here on chapter three and talk about the method. Um, So They use Psalm 23, for example, and they say, you read the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, and you pray something like this, Lord, I thank you that you are my shepherd. You're a good shepherd. You have shepherded me all my life, and great shepherd, please shepherd my family today. Guard them from the ways of the world. Guide them into the ways of God. Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. Oh, great shepherd, I pray for my children. Cause them to be your sheep. May they love you as their shepherd as I do. And Lord, please shepherd me in the decision that's before me about my future. Do I make that move, that change or not? I also pray for our under shepherds at the church. Please shepherd them as they shepherd us. And they continue on talking about this, of going through the different verses and that you can apply this in your prayer time and how that's appropriate to do. So I would really encourage you to get your hands on that book and read Praying the Bible. I think it'll be a good resource for you. There is a podcast episode recently done by Costi Hinn on For the Gospel that I listened to. It was very helpful, very encouraging. It's titled Spiritual Disciplines, How to Get the Most Out of Your Prayer Life. And so I think that would be something good for you ladies to listen to. I think that you'll get a lot out of it and it will help you. It may answer your, some of your questions that you're having in coming out of this movement. And that's one of the biggest things I believe that many people struggle with in coming out of this is how do I pray? You know, it, it's such a switch when you come out of it and you're trying to figure out what a scripture had to say about prayer. How do I have a right mindset and a right posture before God in my prayer versus me thinking I'm the one that's the conqueror, I'm the victor, I'm the overcomer, and keeping my focus on self rather than on Christ when in prayer we are to come to Christ we're to keep our focus on him, which leads me to the next thing there is an article, uh, Ligonier. And I'll share the link in the description below, but it's called ACTS. It's an acronym. I've talked about it before on other podcast episodes. ACTS stands for Adoration for the A, Confession for C, Thanksgiving for the T, and Supplication for S. Like I said, I'll share the link to that below in the podcast description, but I think you're going to find that very helpful. So when you think about this, essentially what you're doing is you're coming before God and you're offering up your worship, your adoration to him because he's worthy of that. The next is confessing, that we are to bring um, our confessions to God, recognizing that we are sinners and that we're in need of God daily. And that's a comforting place to be, and it's a good place to be, to know that you are in need of God every moment, every every moment of every day that you're needing God and you need his help. You need him to strengthen you. The T for Thanksgiving, we want to praise him. We want to um, lift up his name, thank him for his grace and his mercy that he's extended to us. And then we want to supplicate and bringing our petitions to him. And, and I mentioned recently about Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6. I think those are really good about summarizing um, the, this, acro- the, this acrostic of acts, of how to pray. So I think these will be helpful to you. Now, what is God's will for your life? What is God's will for my life? There's many verses that you can find on this. I'll touch on a few here. Um, but we want to do the will of God. And the, the ultimate will of God is for those who would repent and turn to trust in Christ for salvation and eternal life. We read in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God is the one who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that is God's will above all things, that those who would hear would come to saving faith in him. We can also see God's will in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So again, in your prayer time, remember to thank God, even when you're not seeing the answer to prayer that you are asking for. That doesn't mean that he's not worthy of thanksgiving and praise because he's done so much for us. And that is God's will that we would give thanks in all circumstances as well, even the hard ones, not just in the good ones that go our way, but in the difficult ones that don't go our way. And that we would ask God that he would be glorified and that we would be sanctified and that we would that we would continue on in our walk with him and that we would grow in sanctification and that we would grow in spiritual maturity and whatever we're going through. We can see first Thessalonians chapter four, verse three says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And in that context, that's what Paul's talking about. But this is God's will that we would be sanctified. We would be set apart. And so in your walk as a Christian, you're to be set apart and you're going to pre- And you're going to continue on in progressive sanctification when you're in Christ and you're trusting in him for salvation and for eternal life. Uh, We're also told to do good works. We find that in one of Peter's um, epistles. We are to obey his word. That is God's will that we would obey his word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so the will of God is that we would obey him, that we would obey his commands, his instructions, which are found in the word of God. We also see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, these are rather sobering passages that many of us, including myself, have been very much affected by them when we read them on a personal level. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The thing is, in our sanctification and, and our justification, our salvation that Christ provides with a finished work on the cross, we rest in what he has done. And these people here in Matthew 7, they were not resting in what God had done. They were not resting in what Christ was going to do on the cross. They were resting in their own works, and they were relying on all these supernatural things that they could attribute to their own merit to get them before God. And we know that that's not the truth, that it is by no merit of our own that we can come into the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 also says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in order to discern what is the will of God, that means not being conformed to this world, not being consumed by this world, but we are transformed by our minds being renewed by the word of God and by the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we're continuing on in sanctification. So for the lady that asked that question, I hope that this has been helpful in understanding this. Question number two. Uh, One lady wrote in and said, what does Jesus mean by one unforgivable sin? The NAR taught that it was coming against gifts and manifestations and saying that they were not from the Lord. What does it actually mean? It's a great question, and many of us are familiar with this type of teaching, so let's talk about it for a few minutes. There's two particular verses where this is mentioned about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We see this account in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32, and in Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. And both of these accounts are um, giving us the description of where Jesus cast the demon out of the man who was mute. And the Pharisees see this happen. And they—and mind you, they have seen many things happen. And they know who Jesus is. They know he's the Messiah, but they're threatened by him. They're threatened that he is going to take their place and usurp their power and authority. And they're no longer going to have what they had before in lording over people and having the power and authority that they once walked in they're afraid of Jesus, but they know that he's the Messiah. And the thing is, is that in his earthly ministry, when he was doing these things and they saw this, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus addresses this, they were attributing the the acts of the Holy Spirit to Satan himself. And this was the unpardonable sin. The NAR, or the New Apostolic Reformation, Claims this very thing when the gifts and manifestations are called into question and many of us have heard this before that people are afraid to even test these things or question them because they don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and we need to keep these verses in context uh, we also need to remember that scripture calls us to test all things so just because somebody says that's in the name of Jesus, or that it's the, by the Holy Spirit, we're still supposed to test the spirits according to first john chapter 4 verse 1 this is an instruction in scripture so we are to do that when claimed gifts do not correlate with those in scripture and we are claiming a revelatory and authoritative status it is more than fair to test these things in accordance with scripture that actually glorifies god we want to make sure that what's being done is glorifying god and testifying of jesus christ and let me also say this too jesus made it clear in the gospels especially in the gospel of john that when the holy spirit came the helper the comforter that he would testify of jesus so we need to be cautious when there's something that's constantly referring back and putting its focus on the holy spirit rather than on jesus christ does not mean that the holy spirit is not important and significant in our lives he is very much at work in our lives as a born-again believer He's not lazy and he's not inactive when we're not doing these miracle signs and wonders. In a true born-again believer, the Holy Spirit is very much active. But the thing is, the Holy Spirit is not going to draw attention to himself. He is going to point back to Christ every time. So beware and be cautious when something is constantly driving someone to focus on the Spirit rather than on the work of Jesus Christ. Question number three. said, how long did it take to deprogram yourself? The Lord graciously delivered me from the hyper-charismatic prophetic spiritual warfare movement about five months ago. I found a solid church and am taking a revelation precept study there. However, I'm finding that I have multiple layers of false teaching to peel back. It can be frustrating. And the second part of their question was, did people from your church try to find you when you left? If so, how did you navigate it? So I wanna share a little bit about this. There were a couple of personal questions, which is perfectly fine. Again, I'm willing to answer things within reason as long as I don't get too personal, but I'm willing to talk about these things because I think it's helpful. And I, and I also want to encourage those that have come out of this. Um, when you come out of this, you initially feel so alone. There's so many emotions, so many thoughts that are going through your head. You're confused, you're angry, you're upset, you're, you're hurt, you feel alone. You feel like you can't trust anybody ever again. You're angry at yourself, you're angry at the leaders, you're angry at anybody and everybody that's in this movement. And so we want to keep things in perspective and realize that it's normal to have those emotions, but we also have to work through those things in a healthy way, in a biblical way. So it took a while, and I think it's different for every person in this quote-unquote deprogramming. I know that I'm, early on I used the term um, deconstructing. And I know that that's a progressive type term, and some people don't like others to use that term because they feel like it's borrowing from the progressive movement, and I understand that. At the same time, there is a level of deconstruction that takes place. Not the deconstruction of your faith necessarily, though that does happen to some people, but there is a deconstructing of the things or tearing down of old teachings, old mindsets, And that takes time. It's kind of like an onion and peeling the layers back. And as soon as you think you've dealt with a layer and you're okay, another layer rises to the surface and begins to bring the tears and it brings all the emotions and the frustration and repentance a lot of times and and asking God to forgive us. But we can trust that God, when we come before him and we are broken because of our sin, that he forgives us. He forgives us for those things. And by his spirit, he helps us to walk in the way of truth that's found in his word. So be encouraged by that. But it, it took me a little while. Uh, when we first came out, it wasn't because I came out and I immediately said, oh, I know all the answers and I know what I was part of. I was very confused when I came out of this. I immediately started looking, though. I'm the type of person that I have to look and dig and search and I have to understand and know what what's going on and and try to have a, a, an understanding and a grip on what it what this is. And it took a while for me to understand, and it was layer by layer. And honestly, there's probably going to be more layers as I go through the years of finding things that as I continue to grow in my, in my faith and in my understanding of scripture and in understanding God more because of understanding his word, there are going to be things that God continues to show and to refine in me and sanctify in me. And that's a good thing. That's a good place to be. But it's going to be different for everybody. Some people are more accelerated than others, and it's it's going to depend on, you know, you getting in a biblically sound church. That's going to be very helpful to you if you need to seek biblical counseling. That might be another helpful thing to you to work through things, staying in the word of God, surrounding yourself with godly women, for example, for us, godly women that are solid and rooted and grounded in scripture properly and can help us and walk alongside us, maybe even finding an older woman in your local church that's solid that can help mentor you, that might be of help to you. Getting in good Bible studies, staying in the word, listening to solid biblical teaching, but taking it a day at at a time and not getting frustrated. It takes a long time. Some of us that were in it for years, and like I said, I was in it for almost 20 years. I was 18 years of my life spent in that. That's all I knew as far as church was. I went to churches before I started attending that one here and there, but I really didn't have a good solid foundation of church and so that was all i knew was what this movement was was the word of faith and the nar so when you're coming out of this it can be a a bit of a culture shock it can it can shock your system and you can have a multitude of questions and feelings and you don't know how to function and, and work through it and that's why it's good to not try to do it by yourself if you're in a good solid church a local church i would encourage you when you have questions talk to your pastor i have women that reach out to me quite often and there's been several times when they start asking me personal questions or more in-depth questions, I always tell them to go back to their pastor. If they have a, a solid biblical pastor, they need to counsel with their pastor because I'm not one. I'm merely a sister in Christ walking alongside that woman, and I want to help in any way I can. But ultimately, the, that they need to go to a solid authority in the word of God, and that's their pastor. And obviously, they need to listen to their husbands uh, when they're also rooted in the word of God and and seeking proper biblical instruction that's very much um, a must for us that we need to be doing that um the other part too did uh people from your church try to find you when you left and if so how did you navigate it very few people uh reached out um and that's different for everybody i know of some women that everybody cut them off there were a lot of people who cut me off uh when we left a lot of people that i was friends with on social media that blocked me or unfriended me or just kind of ghosted me and didn't want and just listen from afar some people didn't unfriend but still the relationship diminished greatly it doesn't mean that my uh love and care for them diminished and it i'm sure that it didn't diminish on their end either but at any rate there are relationships that are drastically affected Uh, I remember one individual in particular that I won't say his name because he has passed away and I just don't, I want to be private about that. But it was shortly after we left that, uh, one individual came to our home and he wanted to know why we left. And so I was able to talk with him and just share with him. Uh, it was not something that I sought other people out to talk about because it was, it was a difficult time. But we did have people that sought us out. We had a few people that um, that talked with us when we were finally exiting the movement completely and cared and, and were respectful and wanted to have conversations with us. But those relationships still suffered as well. And that's part of this. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't mean that you don't stop loving people or that they stop loving you. But sometimes there are relationships that can't continue past that certain point because we have to go and walk in what the scripture says to do and continue on in learning and understanding and growing what his word says. Um, So that was a great question. I appreciate that question. Question number four. My husband and I were in an NAR based church for 12 years. My husband was the worship leader there as well. And they had some experiences that they're trying to understand if they were biblical or not. They gave two examples. The first example was the husband went through the Bethel worship school when it first opened up online, and during a session one night, the husband asked God to hear his voice audibly. The next thing he heard was a voice telling him that his wife was pregnant, and that was a Friday night, and she took a test Sunday, and it was positive. What are we to make of that is her question. Another time, this lady also said that there was a woman at their church prophesying over them because one of their children had to have a procedure done. And she said there would be a doctor there with all red shoes on who would be with their child the whole time. And she said when they got to the hospital, the anesthesiologist who would accompany her child had all red shoes on. This sister said, my husband and I have repented of the things we did and said in the Lord's name and for being ignorant of his word. But these two things that happened have now confused me. This was another great question that I got, and many of us who are in this movement can attest to having real experiences, such as visions, dreams, hearing voices, many things that we can attest to that were real experiences for us. Um, These things can bring confusion and even serve as a distraction, in my opinion, and I can speak to that personally. This is something I've not shared a lot about, but I'll share it here, and um, just to be accountable to it as well. So about a week, week and a half before everything kind of broke loose in 2019 of what happened with my family, I had two dreams. Now, mind you, at the time, I was under the impression and belief that I was a prophet of God. I was a Shemar prophet, um, prophesied over by the apostle I was under that I was a Shemar prophet, which if y'all don't know what that is, that's a prophet that issues warnings and that I was going to be called as a national prophet to the United States. I was prophesied that in 2017. Anyway, that's beside the point. So I was under the impression I was a prophet. I had dreams. I had visions. I, th- I heard angels singing. I mean, there were so many things that happened I could tell you about that were real. But the thing was, is that I had to take those things back to scripture. About a week, week and a half before all this stuff got, blew up uh, in this situation that led to us having to leave, I had two dreams. And they were back to back um, dreams. And the first dream uh, consisted of some imagery that uh, I was watching the leader that I was under. He was posing in front of the paparazzi and he was on a red carpet and roped off. And he was inside this hotel foyer and I was on the outside talking to his wife and I knew what was going on inside. And then I went and went to this room in the next part of the dream and I was tending to a small plant. And that was the dream. That was it. And then right after that dream was the next dream where I was walking through the woods at night and I was going by these big, tall trees that were humongous. And this one tree was laying down flat and it was really dark. And I had this thought, I've got to get out of this forest. I've got to get away from this place. And I looked back at the root system of this tree that had fallen and there were spiders crawling in it. So I had these dreams, not even thinking about what happened. And then everything that happened and we we left in May of 2019, everything started happening in February of 2019, leading up to us, leaving in, in May of 2019 on Mother's Day. And I remember for quite a while, I would think on those dreams, I would think, what was that? What in the world was that? What, was it my subconscious that knew something was wrong? Was it a warning from God? What was this? Was where did this come from? And it racked my brain because I was one of those people too that I had very vivid dreams. And there was a question, by the way, that uh, a sister in Christ asked about dreams and visions, and asking about Joel too. And so I'm going to save that for next week about dream interpretation and things that are taught in this movement. I'm not um, I'm not endorsing dream interpretation, so don't <laughs> don't hear me and think that I'm in, uh, endorsing that because I don't. I think that those are huge distractions and it's veering people away from scripture and they're not resting in the sufficiency and the um the authority of God's word. So there's this craving for always wanting something more and going outside the Bible and that's dangerous to do. At any rate, these dreams kind of haunted me for a while because I thought I didn't understand them. And there's so much imagery that's focused on this movement and people assigning names uh, and meanings to things and interpretations but the but it can be multiple different interpretations. It's really not helpful. Um, And I had to come to the terms of a few things, when it was all said and done. Um, I had to come to the terms with these dreams and ask if they drew me closer to Christ or if they were pointing to trust in a personal experience. Uh, My pastor was also very helpful when we found a, a solid church to go to that did not have any of the residue and the the remnants of things that we had come out of because I I personally was really struggling with those things and wanting to have anything to do with those things. Uh, My pastor was willing to discuss these matters with me and he was very gracious with me and patient and listening and he helped me through it. Um, He and his wife both did. And he reminded me that it was not the dreams that saved me, it was Christ. Because I think a lot of times we tend to focus on these experiences And there's also this desire that we have, especially as women, that we want this intimate relationship with God. We need to know that he knows us, that he that he personally knows us by name and that he cares about our lives. And you know what? You don't need some extra biblical personal experience, a supernatural encounter to know that God cares about you. That's why you need to stay in scripture. That's why I need to stay in scripture because it reminds us of his care for us that he loves us those that are when we are in Christ he loves us he loves us for those who are in Christ he has a love for us he cares for us he wants us to cast our cares on him he wants us to come to him in with our prayers with our needs he wants us to come to him with our the desires that we have and to make sure that they are what is an in his will as what we talked about a little bit ago what's in his will for our life and he wants us to have that relationship with him and his word sufficiently tells us how he feels about us how he views us in light of his son um the promises that he has for us in light of the finished work on the cross there's there is a relationship there the bible is christ-centered And at the same time, it's also helping us to understand the love of God that He has for us, the tremendous love that He has in sending His Son to die for us. So, if I can encourage you in that, I would tell you that it's really important that we don't rest in our personal experiences. Um, When we ask for such experiences in our lives, we need to be aware that counterfeits and deception can come to us. So, when we're asking, Oh, i want to hear the audible voice of god just be aware that and it's not to scare you but just be aware that the enemy can easily counterfeit those things and make and as we know can deceive people and make people think that they're hearing the voice of god when they're not and they're hearing things that are even contradicting scripture just so important that we get back to the word of god in context so could god speak to someone through a dream Yes, but that is not normative. And that's the other thing, too, in this movement, is these things are made to be normative. And even more so, you will hear teachers say, if you don't hear the voice of God for yourself, or you don't have a relationship where you hear from the Holy Spirit every day, or you're not having dreams and visions, then you need to check and see if you even know God at all. And that's not what marks you as a Christian. We're not told to seek after these things and and to make sure that that's what defines us as a born-again believer. Uh, These things are not normative. And we can know that God personally knows us by what his word says on the matter. When we begin to seek more revelation outside of his word, we actually diminish the word he has given us and that he has revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. We are not told to hold on to or to trust in a personal experience we are told to trust in christ alone peter helps us remember this in second peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 21 i want to read that right now the apostle peter says for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from god the father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but spoke by God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I want you to be encouraged when reading and hiding his word in your heart, that if you trust in him to save you and to give you eternal life, he knows you and he will keep you. And there is no supernatural experience that's going to define you as a born-again believer, except the fact that he has brought you from death to life. That is what marks you as a Christian, his finished work. No amount of supernatural encounters that you can lay claim to are going to define you and mark you as a born again believer. And if those are the things that people rest in, then that's problematic. Now, this sister was asking about this, and this is a, I think this is a common thing that many of us have tried to grapple with is that we have these experiences and they were real and we need to be okay with taking every one of them to scripture, testing them in accordance with scripture, reject the ones that do not pass the test of scripture And the others when we don't know the answer we just say god it doesn't matter because i trust you my trust is in you and your work on the cross your gospel and what your word actually says and already says and these things don't define me and i don't need them and i don't need these experiences to know that you care about me and you know me personally so i hope that that's helpful and i would also say too that we have to also be aware that there are things in the new age and the occult with psychics and things that they can be accurate as well. So just because it's accurate doesn't mean it's coming from God. Question number five came in from a sister. She says, are there Christians who love the Lord but who are deceived themselves or are they total fakes or is it a little bit of both? And are people who follow NAR teachings in danger of hell losing their salvation? I followed these teachings for years and so did my sister. She still does. And you always hear about people who don't read their Bibles, and that's why they fall into deception. But we were saved directly into the NAR slash charismatic way of Christianity. Another great question. And again, I appreciate every one of you all that sent in questions and asked these things because I think it's going to help others. So you're helping others in addition to also hopefully this is helping you. I'm, I'm really hoping it is. So I believe there is a mixture going on. I think that this question is a good question. But it's not a um, a clear cut in a way because I believe that there is a mixture of people in this movement. I believe that there are those who are truly born again, but they are deceived. I believe that I believe that they have um, followed in these ways and they have not tested things according to scripture and they have been deceived and I also believe that God is faithful to bring those who are his out of such beliefs and once you realize that these teachings are not honoring Christ they're aberrant teachings false teachings some of them are even going into blasphemous heretical teachings depending on the doctrine it's being taught God is faithful to bring his people out of it you cannot stay in these types of teachings when you know the truth you simply cannot I want to read to you from John chapter 10 verses 1 through 5 I love the chapter in John 10 but I think that you'll find this helpful and applicable here and i believe that's what happens in this movement is that when you begin to realize that you're walking in false teaching and that you're on a cliff and you're getting ready to fall off as a sheep and the shepherd comes after you and i can attest to that that you will not listen to the voice of strangers any longer that are that are saying things contrary to what the word of god is saying that they are not testifying of the truth of god's word you won't listen to them you're going to listen to the shepherd. You're going to listen to this word, this written word that he's given us. It's a living word. I also believe that there are tares among the wheat in this movement. We know about the parable of the tares and the wheat, that the tares look very much like the wheat um, and that they're growing together, that they're not going to be dealt with until the end. Uh, The concern that many of us have regarding this movement is the contortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the full gospel is said to be miracles, signs, and wonders, this is adding to the gospel. When God is misrepresented by teachers and others from the scriptures, this is a concern, and this should be most definitely a concern. When there is bad fruit that is cultivated repetitively, then we need to ask tough questions. A good tree is not going to bear bad fruit. So we need to be willing to ask the questions when there's not good fruit coming from the tree And let me just say this. Some people want to say the fruit is how many miracle signs and wonders I've done. I think that's also we need to be cautious about that. Again, when we go to Matthew 7, there are people that are going to claim they have all this fruit. And even Jesus goes on in Matthew 7 to talk about fruit right after this, about a good tree bearing good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit, that they can't do the opposite of what they are supposed to do. We need to be aware when someone is claiming fruit in their works that they say they can produce and the amount of people they've healed and the amount of people that they've um, uh, saved and the amount of people that they've um, raised the dead and, and done all, all of these things. False teachers can claim that too. False prophets can do that. So we need to, to definitely ask the questions. There are also those who embellish or fabricate things in this movement. There are people teaching things for shameful gain and popularity There are people that are falling prey to peer pressure when they're in these mass gatherings and they see people fall down or they they want to prophesy or they they're giving in to the peer pressure to please the leaders or to do what others are doing so that they don't uh, so that they're not accused of not having the Holy Spirit. It could be someone that is um, falling prey to that pressure or it could be people that are embellishing and fabricating so they can gain an audience and they can grow wealthy in what they're doing and they can have masses of popularity around it paul issued a sobering thought to the corinthian church in second corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 he told them to test themselves to see if they were even in the faith we should not be afraid to do the same and the first thing we need to be certain is intact is our understanding and in our belief that the pure gospel in accordance with scripture that is the first thing the foundation must be certain that upon which we stand If we do not understand our need for Christ and why he died for us and from what we have been saved, then we are in danger of following another gospel and another Jesus. And when our faith is in him to save us and our faith is in his finished work on the cross and the sufficiency of that deliverance and redemption, then we can be at peace. So I hope that that is helpful in that understanding. But um, I do believe that there's a mixture going on in this movement and God again is faithful that should comfort us. Pray for your family members and such that are in this. God is no respecter of persons in that matter. He he is faithful to save those and to pull them out, snatch them out of this deception. And we want to be faithful in sharing the truth with others, speaking the truth in love, being willing to share the things or ask questions that are difficult to talk about. When the, op- when the good opportunity arises to do that, it doesn't mean we need to preach to our relatives every time we see them and go into this cage stage mode of trying to tell them everything that they believe is wrong, but looking for the right opportunities to talk to those family members and loved ones, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. That was another question that was asked, and that's a really good one of how to talk to family members. So we'll get there in just a minute. Question number six I really struggle to understand the concept of speaking in tongues in the Bible as a whole. As a result, when people speak in tongues over me at church, a relatively new happening, I feel really uncomfortable. People have sent me scripture advising it's biblical, but I keep coming back to this suspicion that the concept of biblically speaking in tongues is being misinterpreted and misused. I have prayed for answers, but still always end back at the same suspicion. Please, any biblical insight would be greatly appreciated. I think a lot of us have called that into question. That was one of the things that really was a huge... Um, stumbling block, I guess you could call um, that was a huge thing for me in my life because for 15 years of my 18 years in that movement, I sus- subscribed to a private prayer language. And I'm actually going to refer you to a resource page that I have. And so, for you ladies that are interested and may not know about it, I have a resource page on my blog. You can find it on lovesubscribe.com forward slash resources. It's a post NAR page that I created uh in order to help women that are coming out of this because i would have wanted the same thing and so what i've done is i've got the gospel on there i've got some reputable women that you can glean from such as susan heck michelle leslie amy asprey there's also a link to a a discipleship group that emily massey and myself co-lead as i mentioned it's free and it's a women's support group um there's going to be lots of links to suggestions on there, book uh, book suggestions articles but I have subtopics listed on there and I add periodically when I find good resources that may be helpful for having to work through these things. I will post the links and things under those subtopics. Well, I have a subtopic called tongues so you can feel free to check that out and you may find it helpful to you. And I've also discussed this in a couple of podcast episodes. So while I will list those in the description below, along with the web link to my resource page. Now, That being said, and I know that there are people going to disagree with uh, my changed view on tongues because I do not subscribe any longer to a private prayer language and I am spirit filled. So I don't have to speak in a private prayer language to prove that I'm spirit filled. Again, spirit, I will talk about that in just a minute, but there's this misconception that people who are speaking in tongues in their private prayer language, those are the only spirit filled people and everybody else is the frozen chosen. And that ain't right so it is important that we pay attention to what tongues were in acts two this is the thoughts i'm going to offer to you and i want to encourage you to check out those links i have on there some articles and things i found videos that i think will be helpful to you um we need to be honest and to see what these were when acts two happened at the day of pentecost what were these tongues that were in acts two they were known languages in the earth unknown to the speaker And the Holy Spirit supernaturally gifted them with the gift of tongues to proclaim the works of God. And from there, Peter preached the first sermon and presented the gospel. And 3,000 souls came to saving faith in Christ that day. Now, the other thing we need to note is the audience in attendance. Whose languages were being spoken that day? Different dialects of Jewish people. So we need to understand that. We need to consider what Paul said about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 and his reference to Isaiah 28 verses 10 and 11. In light of all that, we need to ask where in Scripture we see a private prayer language explicitly mentioned. And we also need to honestly consider the history of the Pentecostal movement with Charles Fox Parham and how the definition of tongues changed in the early 1900s to include a private prayer language. We also need to consider that Jesus did not speak in tongues. And he had the spirit with full measure. He also did not instruct his disciples to pray in a private prayer language. And we also need to ask why the Holy Spirit would mimic something that other false religions do. We need to keep that in perspective of the fact that there are false religions that also attest to having this, the ecstatic utterances of speaking in tongues. Why would the Holy Spirit mimic something like that? These are all things I, I want you to consider, really consider them and work through them, and and don't be afraid to go to Scripture to look at them. Scripture helps us to see that speaking in an ecstatic utterance does not define one as being Spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and regenerate us at the moment of salvation. And And after that, as He continually fills us throughout the process of sanctification and being conformed to the image of Christ, we grow in spiritual maturity. We are assured of being spirit-filled by God's work in our lives and bearing good fruit because we abide in the vine." It's talked about in John 15. And you can see the, for example, the um, the reference of Ephesians 5.18, where Paul tells them to not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us have been taught that that's in um, accordance with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is not what that's talking about. If you even look at the meaning of that word filled there, It's talking about a continual process, and this is pointing us to sanctification. This is pointing us to being conformed to the image of Christ in growing in spiritual maturity. I hope that that perspective is helpful, but again, I would refer you to the links. There are biblical scholars that I've listed some of their articles, videos, and things that I think you'll find extremely helpful, and there's a couple of videos I have listed there from Andreas Widget and Daniel Long who talk about the history of tongues in the Pentecostal movement. I think that you'll find that very interesting if you take a look at those. Question number seven. My question has to do with dealing with family, especially when it's your own mother. I was caught up in a lot of NAR beliefs, teachings, churches, etc. when I was a teenager and very young adult. My beliefs in life have changed drastically compared to before God showed me my sin and false beliefs. Can you address the relationship with a mother who is still deceived by NAR teachings? It's very hard to know whether she's saved or not in the first place. She also has gotten very angry with me in the past when I've said anything about the truth of scripture and how it conflicts with what she believes. I'm struggling to find the balance of maintaining a happy-go-lucky relationship with her that is usually good as long as I don't bring anything biblical up and the weight of telling her the truth of God's word. Our relationship was nearly non-existent or at least very distant for a couple of years because I couldn't have a conversation about the truth without upsetting her. Now our relationship is getting better, but I never bring up anything theological. Or against what she believes, and I wanted to read that lengthy question as it was because I think many of you watching can relate to this. I've heard from many uh, women when they reach out, and there are some men that have reached out saying that their wives are entrenched in this movement, and that that it's brought great contention in marriages. It brings contention in families when you're coming out of this, and you have questions, or you're very passionate about people knowing the truth. Sometimes that can make things even more difficult and more tense among people. It can definitely cause some problems when you're in a close relationship between um, not only a spouse, but also between parent and child, grandparent, grandchild, you name it. Whenever you're in contact with people that you love and you come out of these types of belief systems and they still hold to them and subscribe to them. That can be very hard and there's some people that don't want to talk about these things they're willing to have a superficial relationship with you as long as you don't broach that subject and you start getting into that place of of questioning what they believe because it's very near and dear to them so dealing with family members who still hold to these teachings can be very difficult and i have great compassion for that and many know that this has separated families friends and loved ones and when it comes to family We can be sobered and even comforted in Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. The truth always rightly divides and false teaching always brings division from the truth. With parents, we also want to remember what God says to us in his word, that we are to honor our father and mother. And this does not mean denying the truth. I'm not saying that. It does not mean denying what God's word says. It does not mean going against the commands of his word. It does not mean defying his word. But we can still love our parents and honor them as our mother and father while still sharing the truth with them according to scripture when there's error involved. And we can have loving conversations that present themselves to share thoughts and questions with them. We want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We all need that reminder, especially in this day and age with digital technology and being keyboard warriors on social media because all of us can be guilty of that. But we do not want to be quarrelsome or combative. Whether we're talking to our parents or we're talking to a stranger or we're talking to a friend. We do not want to be combative we do not want to be quarrelsome Uh, we want to be gentle patient and loving enough to speak the truth and love when necessary and we're not responsible for their reactions but we are responsible for our own conduct and so above all the gospel is of utmost importance and so for this lady that reached out and said this um, i have great compassion for you i know it's it's very difficult And I would say you don't have to have a theological discussion with your mom. You know, don't feel that pressure that every time that you get together with her that you have to have a theological discussion. That there comes a moment that you have that you get to share the gospel with her or you get to talk with her about it, ask questions. You conduct yourself in a way that's going to honor Christ and show her that there's a change in you, that he's bearing good fruit in you. And continue to ask god and pray that he would keep the doors of communication open so that that way you you all can still talk and that there's opportunities provided to you that you can have these places that you can have these times to that you can have these times to bring questions to her that would get her thinking not not just try to prove her wrong but get her thinking and going back to scripture and pray that god that would use those those conversations for his glory and that they would be fruitful and that he would be the one that to lead her back to the truth because he is going to be the one that leads her back to the truth he is the only one that can reveal the truth to her you obey the word of what the word of god says and still honor your father and mother in the process question number eight when i was in nar i saw demons come out of people was that real or were they not born again i saw people vomiting everywhere and falling to the floor even though they were born again which i know isn't what scripture says Now I'm out of NAR, but I even saw children fall, shaking, and vomiting. What was that? I was terrified and made to feel weird, and a kid told me at the event that I don't have the Holy Spirit as I'm not falling down. Another lady at the same time reached out to me and said her question dealt with soul ties. She said, I'm hearing so much about this lately from those in this movement, also generational curses. I am so concerned about this teaching. What about adopted children who cannot research their family history? How can anyone even know anything more than one or two generations before? How can anyone reason that you have to cast a generational curse off of you? Why was the blood of Jesus at salvation not enough? How do they believe this? Well, I can certainly share in these concerns with these questions. Let's go to the first part of this question from the first lady. So scripture does not support the teaching that born again believers can be indwelt by demons. And if you've listened to my podcast long enough, you know that I no longer subscribe to deliverance ministry teachings, even though I taught at points about demonology when I was in this movement to the at the local church in the local Bible college that was there. And uh, I subscribed to this, some of these things. I, I participated in deliverance ministry at times. So there were elements of this that I subscribed to. There were elements of it in my home that I subscribed to, and I no longer do that because I believe it diminishes the gospel of Jesus Christ. It diminishes the power, the sufficiency of the gospel, it diminishes the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a born-again believer. Uh, people who are speaking on behalf of a demon and are writhing and manifesting or demonstrating accounts in the gospels of those who were demon-possessed. So we need to take that into consideration. And again, if you've listened to my episodes at all, then you'll know that Even some of the biblical scholars that I pointed out in their articles that they've written, they've mentioned about that Greek word that's used in the Gospels only to define someone as demonized or demon possessed. So you can check those out. There's a laundry list of those episodes available on my podcast. Um, There could be some power of suggestion that I think is going on in some of these things. Again, when you get in a mass setting, with a whole group of people and you see people falling over uh being slain in the spirit which i do have an article reference i'll reference to you in a minute that you can check out i think will be helpful when you see people that are coming up for deliverance and i believe they've been programmed to see these things when they see these things in masses in droves of these people doing this there is that that programming there of oh i need to fall down i need to do this i need to say what demon this is speaking out of me when they converse with me, which I find that absurd, quite frankly. I think that it's just, it's theatrical and it's it's a spectacle. And I, it's not honoring Christ by doing that. It's it's puffing that leader up to make them look like they have all this power and authority, which it, it does not. So um, there could be the power of suggestion in these gatherings, but there could also be a demonic component, certainly, among those who are not born again. Children have been manipulated in this movement and are very vulnerable to the power of suggestion, and influenced in the in environments such as this. And so their their minds are very pliable to to these things. And uh, we see nothing in Scripture to support being slain in the Spirit. Let let's just say that. And someone falling down is not the standard for knowing that someone again has the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can see uh, in Scripture there are verses that we see in the Gospels, for example, the the little boy with the with the um, epilepsy, that he had the infirmity of epilepsy and had the demon cast out of him and was falling into the fire, he was falling down. So you may say, well, that's not an example of being slain of spirit. No, but my point is when you see people falling down in scripture like this, it was not in response to the glory of God. It, that was a demonic manifestation. When we see the guards coming to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, and when he says who he is, they fall backwards. That, again, was not them falling under the power of the Holy Spirit or having being slain in the spirit. Uh, Many of us were taught of being slain in the spirit that, well, your natural body, your flesh reacts to the supernatural coming upon it. And so it just can't stand up. Well, where is that taught in scripture? It's not taught. And we don't see being slain in the spirit as a common practice going on. Falling down does not mark you as a believer. And so there's no reason to get mad at this child because this child is um, young and immature and doesn't know any better, doesn't understand. But that is not the mark of you having the Holy Spirit. And what's really sad is that these children are being taught this and they're being taught wrong. And so they're being falsely indoctrinated with this, with this. And that's why we need to be diligent about teaching our children the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word and recognizing false teaching when it's coming at you like this. Resting in you being slain in the Spirit is, again, resting in your work. It's resting in you being, you, you're you going to be satisfied that you're truly God's because you fell down. That's, but that's relying on something you did. That's not relying on what Christ has done for you. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is the one who seals you for the day of redemption. He is the guarantee of your inheritance of eternal life. So you can take comfort in that. That is what marks you as having having the Holy Spirit, that you are putting your trust in Christ alone to save you, and to give you the promise of eternal life. I also want to read to you Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Verse 10 says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we are told that if we are truly sons of god then we have the spirit of god living within us and that is not found in you being slain in the spirit or any other manifestation for that matter so you can rest easy in that for those who are in christ and have placed their faith in him to save them from there a born-again believer demonstrates they are spirit-filled by being led by the spirit demonstrating fruit of the spirit proclaiming the gospel of jesus christ in accordance with scripture and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I've already referenced to you Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Again, I think that that'll be helpful to you. There's another article I want to recommend to you. It's on Costihan's site for the gospel. It's an article titled Mythbuster, Slain in the Spirit, and I'll provide the link down below for you in the description so you you can take a look at that because I think it'll be helpful if you have questions about being slain in the spirit and is that even a biblical um manifestation or a biblical teaching as for the lady if you're listening and you're hearing this question that you asked i want to encourage you in this i want you to remember to thank god that he protected you and pray for those who hold to such beliefs regarding deliverance that they would hear the truth and really understand freedom in christ and so that goes for all of us we can all be very thankful god in his grace and his mercy came for us and he brought us out of this movement it's not by anything that we've done it's all because of what he's done and so we need to remember to pray for those that are still in this movement that god would be merciful and gracious and help them to see the truth that he would give us opportunities to share with these people and that they would hear the truth and they would go back to the word of god in the right context and not continue to fall into this deception and be led astray regarding soul ties My good friend and sister in Christ, Doreen Virtue, has a video about this very topic, and I'm going to share the description of it below in the podcast episode. And I've also got an episode myself dealing with generational curses, so I'll share the link to that as well in the description. The question is a great question regarding uh, adopted children, and I agree with the concerns of this teaching because it simply promotes spiritual bondage. There's no way for for an adopted child to thoroughly go back and to really trace back their family line and to find out what their ancestors did and such and it's not even necessary we can be encouraged by galatians 3 13 where jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a, a curse for us and this includes even going back to exodus 20 where some will make their their argument of saying that that god will uh curse those to the third and fourth generation which is dealing with idolatry but he goes on to say that he will bless those to a thousand generations for those who love him and this is even foreshadowing of salvation and the promise of salvation and the gift of eternal life for those who have placed their faith in christ he has forgiven us of our individual sin and cleansed us from all unrighteousness according to first john chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. it says it assures us that if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John did not say that we needed to confess the sins of our ancestors. We are not instructed to need further deliverance from generational curses. We trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and we trust that when he says we are free in him, we believe this. We are free to live holy and blameless lives before him, and we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is not a weakling. So with that, we've answered eight questions today. Some of them are a combination of questions. There were a few other questions I had, uh, one about worship, what is worship, and um, dealing with their prophetic, also dealing with dreams and visions. As I said, there was another one about a specific teacher. I think those are all really good episodes to do in and of themselves. So don't be discouraged. And if I didn't get to your question, or maybe I didn't receive it, or whatever, just double check with me if, if I've... Didn't answer your question, um, and please feel free to offer feedback. If I didn't answer it thoroughly to where it answered your question, um, let me know, and I can try to see if I can find you some some um, reputable resources that may help more in that matter. So thank you for listening today. I appreciate all of you all that sent questions in. I want to encourage you to to continue to abide in the Word of God. This is our final authority. This is where our foundation rests. This is the final authority upon which we rest for the truth. Um, And I enjoyed being with you all today, as always. And I look forward to our next time together as we cover another topic. And until that time, be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawn at lovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesixscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.